Yet he said, do you like it? And I was like, I do like it here. And I was like, I'm going to have a business here. I'm looking up at him. He's like, no, how are you going to do that? You're an African-American woman, okay? And you're in a Muslim country. I don't know how you think you're going to do that. And that's also you're challenging me. Oh, even more reason for me to do it. And from that, I ended up going knocking on doors. And I just said, I'm going to have a business. And so I went back and forth. And if anybody knows the plane ride from the United States to Dubai to go over there for three days and come back home for two days and go back to Dubai, I did that over 12, 13 years. Welcome to Flourish in the Foreign, the award-winning podcast that celebrates, elevates, and affirms the voices and stories of Black women living and thriving abroad, while exploring living abroad as a pathway to wellness. I'm your host, Christine Job, a Black American woman with Trinidadian roots, a business strategist and consultant from Atlanta, living and thriving in Valencia, Spain. Hey everyone, welcome to Flourish in the Foreign. I am Christine Job, the host of this here podcast, and I'm so happy that you're here listening to this episode. It's a good one. I mean, I'm biased, but it's a good one. It's a good one. For those of you that haven't joined the Buy Me a Coffee membership, be sure to do so, especially if you want to chat with me because I do coffee chats every month. Due to my illness and kind of things getting knocked off schedule, I'm going to be doing two coffee chats in December, one at the beginning of the month and one at the end. And I think that the last one in December, I want to really focus on just whatever you've gone through this year. Let's release it. If you've been abroad and it's not all the things you thought it was going to be. That's a place for us to chat about it. It's a safe space. And if you're prepared to go abroad in 2024 and you're nervous, excited, or what have you, or you just want to chat with me, like, let's do it. So be sure to become a member of the Flourish and Form Buy Me a Coffee membership so that you could chat with me. Grab the Move Abroad with Intention guide to not only aid in your leap abroad and making sure that it is successful, but also if you're already abroad, to keep you engaged and to keep you accountable as you cultivate this new life abroad. I've curated a playlist of sorts that goes with the guide. Yeah, I have. I made a whole list of episodes of this podcast that I think will be really helpful as you complete the guide. You can find that list in the description of this episode. So just scroll on down and uh, they're all there for you, hyperlinked or you know, I know some platforms don't allow for the hyperlink, but you got the season, the episode number, and the title. So listen to those as you complete your Move Abroad with Intention guide. I'd also suggest that you grab the Build a Business Abroad guide if building your own business abroad or taking it abroad is something that interests you. It's not for everybody, but for those of you that are interested in it, I highly suggest you to grab 
that guide. And I've created a playlist for the Build a Business Abroad guide as well, which is basically just season three of this podcast. Season three of this podcast was a mini season all about building a business abroad. So listen to those things, help you get your mind right, especially as we go into the new year. A friendly reminder to everyone, I will be doing another Ask Me Anything episode at the end of this season, so be sure to please submit your questions via the link in the description of this episode. Also, stay tuned to the very end of this episode for a gift from me to you. All right, on to the episode. Season 5, Episode 6. Today's episode features Wendy Alexander, who is known globally as the number one African American cross cultural consultant with over 20 years of business ties in the United Arab Emirates, India, Europe, and Africa. Wendy is the founder of Inspiring Decisions LLC and the creator of the Global Success Society. She is a number one best-selling author and award-winning speaker with an MBA and an upcoming PhD in health psychology. Wendy's unique belief in cross-cultural ecosystems draws governmental, ministerial, and corporate thinkers from diverse world areas, including Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, and New Mexico. She lived abroad in Dubai to help create access globally for women entrepreneurs. Wendy's story is so incredibly inspirational. I feel like that is such an understatement. A true testament to what can happen when you bet on yourself. Okay, but I'll let Wendy tell you all about it. So I'm Wendy Alexander. I am in Atlanta, Georgia, and I'm 52 years old. So my childhood, I actually grew up with my mother. I'm an only child. And so I feel like, you know, when I was growing up at first, I was like, oh, the only child. And people are like, oh, you're lonely. You didn't have anybody. I actually wasn't. I was actually able to learn to just pretty much entertain myself, which taught me to explore, to be curious. I wasn't fearful of things because I was so curious. I was the one who, when they went to camp and they said, listen, you can't jump in the deep end of the water because you can't swim. I did it every single day. They would put me in timeout every single time. And I would say, no, because they're over there swimming and I got to get this. I am not going to be the one over here that's not able to swim. So I taught myself how to swim when I was seven by just jumping in the pool. So I've always thought about that when I think about my journey today. And so my childhood planted those seeds for me, but also uh, my mother it was a time when she went through a temporary divorce. And so she was always working two or three jobs. And I remember going to the office and sleeping on the floor with her to make sure she had ends meet to be able to take care of me. And so that taught me the discipline also you know, to whatever it is that I had to do. And so my mother has always been my inspiration to be able to do more and to, to take risk. You know, and regardless of whatever the situation might look like, you know, there's always opportunities and things on the other side. Um, and so my childhood was my mother was a single parent for a while, worked two or three jobs. I also seen a lot of things that happened in her relationship that I was able to take and say, that's not what I want in mind. And then just being able to move on. But I definitely, as I gotten older, been able to say, wow, that's why I'm able to do this today. You know, that's why I'm able and people are always saying, well, how can you do that? 
because I've always been doing it. I've always been fearless and never really knew it until I got older. I asked Wendy if she had the opportunity to attend university, but I also wanted to know if she was interested in studying abroad during that time as well. I'm going to tell you how I got into going to school. I'm going to be very honest and transparent here because I think my story is probably something that other women resonate with. When I decided to go to the university, I went to the University of Norfolk State, my first university. But that's because I was running from an abusive relationship. Okay, so I was living in North Carolina and he was there and I said, I got to get away from this. He's just not going to leave me alone. I'm going to pick this university. I didn't know anything about Norfolk State. I just knew his mother talked about it a lot of times. And she was like this president of something organization. And I was like, huh, this is a way for me to get away from him. I didn't go to the university and pick it because of like most, you know, teenagers do like, oh, I'm going there because of this band or I want to be a part of this. No, I was running from an abusive relationship on my first journey to to going into Norfolk State. Um, And then once I got there, he continued to follow me there. So then I ended up transferring back to North Carolina, to North Carolina Central University, moving in with my grandmother. I um, had to do a restraining order, went to court and all of that. So then I was able to really say that next year, OK, this is what I want to go to college for. I didn't even know what I wanted to study because I was just in this survivor mode. It wasn't about college. Right. And so when I got to North Carolina Central, I majored in political science. I said, OK, well, I like law. I think that's what I want to do, you know. And so but again, I'm still trying to heal from this relationship that I was in. And so I studied political science, ended up doing a lot of work in the areas of working with kids with mental health, more so psychology and social and social work. But then when they told me you weren't going to make no money, I was like, well, I don't want to do that. <laughs> so that was that. So I didn't major in that. Right. But I continue to have experience in doing jobs in that. From that, I end up going later to get my MBA from Walden University. Um, and currently right now working on my doctorate in international business and psychology as well. And so I've, I have a journey that's a little different because people say, well, you started political science, but now you're doing international business. But but that's the reason because I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I was, you know, that's not where my head was about like most people, like I want to study this. And so I missed a lot of that, you know. And so when I had my daughter, I was like, well, what is it that you want to study in school? Let's go to the college and we're going to go because, you know, it was a different experience versus I'm just, I didn't even go to North State. I didn't know what it looked like. Nothing. I applied two days before the deadline, got in and don't remember this is where I'm going. And she couldn't even figure it out. She was like, well, you never said anything about that because she knew, didn't know about the whole relationship situation, right? So I know that I'm sharing that is because I know that somebody else has probably done the same thing and said, you know what, I made this decision or they're there now based on a situation. But how am I going to be able to turn this around so that I have a positive outlook on life and of career? Because this is where I am now. My my past has nothing to do with my current presence and where I am internationally. I was able to take all of my experiences and build it from my education, but then put it into the position of being an international consultant and doing things in different countries. Now, being able to take the mental health part that I did do, helping them in different countries, not really doing a whole lot with politics, except for when you're talking about different things that's going on in the country. But again, that was never my goal. I just really just was trying to get away. 
When I went to North Carolina Central, I had a lot of friends that were from different countries. And so I did not get a chance to study abroad, but I was so interested in their culture. Every single time I would meet somebody, well, where are you from? Well, what is it like? Tell me a little bit about it. And so I was always curious and I could be in any type of store and do the same thing. So I never got the opportunity because, again, when I even transferred, I was trying to heal. And so I really wasn't focused on like, you know, the living abroad and all that kind of stuff that was out there. I was still in survivor mode, not into years later, once I got out of school and I was just like, wait a minute, there was a living abroad situation. My children. I introduced it to them. <laughs> you see what I mean? So they got all of those things about living abroad and studying abroad and traveling to these different countries while you're in school. They were able to do that. But my mind wasn't there at that moment. I asked Wendy to discuss her moving abroad journey. And when did she decide to finally take that leap? So when I first thought about doing it, I was the executive director of a mental health agency at the time. And again, I was still meeting people from different countries. And I'll never forget meeting this woman from London. And she asked me to do, she was like, can you just do some almost like investigations in the United States for me, find out some things? And so I said, of course. So then I started working with her and passing her the information. And I was like, huh, if somebody needs what I have in the United States, what can this turn into? And so I continued to work with her. And then years later, and I ended up going to um, MCI Worldcom, and my husband was at MCI too. We were both there together. You already know where this is going to go. So when you have a layoff, what's going to happen? We we're both going to get laid off at the same time. We ended up losing everything, lost our home, cars, repossession, everything that you can think of to the point of living to my grandmother to the point of being homeless, right? And a lot of people don't define homeless as living with somebody, but I do because it's still not our home. And so with that, we were like, okay, we got to figure out how we're going to do something else different. And so that's when he decided to go overseas to Iraq. So this is how the journey begins. And I said, I'm not going to Iraq. Okay, so we got to figure this out because <laughs> I'm not going there. So then he said, well, now he's going to be in Afghanistan. You can come there. Nope. This was 20, what, three years ago. I was like, nope. Can't go there either. I don't want to go there either. And um, he ended up going overseas to Iraq and then he ended up going to Afghanistan and he ended up saying, you know, I need you to meet me in Dubai. And I said, I don't know where that is. Nobody's talking about Dubai at the time. I was like, I don't want to go there either. And so I started thinking about the woman who I was working with in London. And I said, what if this is an opportunity for me to do something in a different country, just like I'm doing for her and to take those same skills? And so I ended up, long story short, decided finally to meet him in Dubai. And my husband is 6'7", I'm 5'4". And I will never forget, he said, do you like it? And I was like, I do like it here. Because we had went out and I was like, I'm going to have a business here. And I'm looking up at him. And he's like, no, how are you going to do that? You're an African-American woman, okay? <laughs> and you're in a Muslim country. I don't know how you think you're going to do that. And that's also you're challenging me. Oh, even more reason for me to do it. And from that, I ended up going knocking on doors and I just said, I'm going to have a business. I didn't know what that business was going to be. I had no clue what I was doing. I couldn't speak Arabic. Didn't know hardly anything about the culture. I just knew I wanted to do it. I knew I wanted to take what I had been doing with this lady, some type of capacity because that urge of being international was in me and just build this 
and I ended up getting a contract. Um, I started training with one lady and then I ended up getting a contract two days later, um, training the Abu Dhabi police, the royal family, the government, and it just continued from there. And I said, you know what? I'm going to continue to build my business from this. And this is how it's going to start. Because if you think about it, I'm not paying for anything to come over here. They're going to be paying for everything, but I'm going to take the advantage of the opportunity. And I was just like, okay, now I have two kids. How am I going to do this with my husband living in Afghanistan? We're in the United States. I'm a mom. I'm a wife. I got to find this balance. And they were younger then. And so I went back and forth. And if anybody knows the plane ride from the United States to Dubai to go over there for three days and come back home for two days and go back to Dubai, I did that over 12, 13 years because I wanted to build and I was willing to sacrifice the sleep and everything else. And also coming back because I decided to take the position that I was in and flip it into a contract with the lady and say, I'll do a contract with you so I can have my freedom. Right? Because if I'm a contract, you can't tell me when it comes and goes. And that's what that's where it led to the abroad peace. And I said, with my children, my son is the youngest. My daughter is the oldest. I said, when my son gets older, he's geared to go to college. Because these was, they were always positioned that they knew that mommy and daddy, this is a global business, it's a global family. This is what we have. They go overseas. I will get a longer contract and then I will live in Dubai. I, I said a couple of months, which turned into years. Well, I'll never forget the day he graduated. And I said I wasn't checking my email. And I got an inbox saying, here's the contract to come to Dubai to live the day he graduated. So I manifested up until that day. And so that's when I left and I went to Dubai to live for almost uh, close to eight years. I came home in 2020. And so that's just how it started. It was never, and I, I share that because I think a lot of times we think we always have to plan things out and everything has to be perfect. It wasn't perfect for me. I had no clue what I was doing, you know, none. I just knew this is what I wanted to do and I was going to make it happen. And once you're in a different country, it's nothing like it. It's just different. And so that's how my journey abroad started. Wendy is a highly decorated and well-respected businesswoman. And so I asked her to share with all of us how she developed her business abroad. I had a, a mentor who was always talking about this training overseas. And so I was just like, okay, well, I'll be interested in, in, in looking into it. And so that piqued my interest in saying, so they want Americans to come overseas to do training, right? So that's why I was like, hmm, well, I can train. Now, first of all, I was not a trainer at the time, but I was the executive director. So I figured like, you know, if I'm coaching and doing all these other things, I could, I could train because coaching is training, right? So once I started to do that, I said, well, okay, well, maybe that's something that I can look into. So then my husband said, well, I'm going to be going back over there to Dubai. And I said, okay, well, when are you going? And he said, well, I'm not sure. And I said, okay, well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to try to be patient, but I need to be able to go back soon. I ended up emailing his boss and saying, do you know when y'all are going to be doing training again? And so he told me. When they were going to be doing it, my ticket was already booked. By the time my husband told me it was time to go, I said, I already got my ticket. He's like, what? Mind you, they pay for everything. But I was like, no, I'm going to pay for it. I was investing in myself because I believed in myself enough. But once I hit that soil, I was going to have a contract before I left there. I didn't know what the contract was going to be in, but I was going to be that was going to be the start of my business. That's all I knew in my mind. And I didn't care what came in my way, what obstacles, what I had to do. I was not leaving without having some type of business or opportunity in place. 
I ended up taking this little piece of notebook paper, and I still have it today, and I just wrote down these training places that they had. Right? They had all these training centers and stuff, and I was like, okay, well, I read a little bit about the culture that everything is face-to-face, that they like to be face-to-face. Right? So I was like, okay, so I don't need to waste time sending emails. I don't need to waste time trying to do these WhatsApp messages to people. I just need to just go over there and just meet people face to face. Now, what was I going to train them? I don't know. So what I did was I wrote on there. I said, here's the training center. I walked in and I said to them, I said, so my name is Wendy Alexander and I am an American. And I said, I'm from the United States. I'm a native English speaker. I noticed that you have some opportunities that where you look for trainers from you know, the United States to do training. She said, yes. And she said, well, what do you train on? And I was just like, well, what do you need training on? I just, that's what she said. Well, we need customer service. We need team building. We need executive um, planning. And so I was like, okay, customer service. How detailed a customer service? So she was just like, well, you have to remember that it's our second language, English, right? For most people. So therefore, it's not like your regular PowerPoint where we're all fancy and we have what the seven or nine different bullet points. No, it just needed to be one bullet point. And it could be a YouTube video. And that's what I did my trainings off of. Okay. And so it was very simple. So I was like, I can do that. How many times have we had customer service training in a job? All I did was take the customer service trainings that I had done for years. Right. And I just wrote me a little customer service, asked her what did they need. And I developed my own kind of curriculum, I guess I would say. And the curriculum, what I mean by that was just a PowerPoint. It wasn't all these handouts because you have to understand how to align the business and the culture, right? If their first language is in English, why would I have a bunch of handouts in English? Why would I take the time to do that? Why would I create this PowerPoint with all these different words when I know that it's not going to be easy for them to understand? But if I have all these YouTube videos, right, that's talking about what I'm trying to do, this is before we start doing video recording of our own, then they're going to be better to understand it. So I took everything that she said, customer service. I started training on team building. The next one was body language. The basic things that we think that are basic still to this day, I get called to do those trainings. Isn't that something? Still to this day. Because I then learned, I said, okay, now that I know that I can get into this one training center, let me go to another one. Well, I later found out that I really didn't even have to do that because the government was putting out what these bids were. So I went back to her and I built a relationship. Now, I want everybody to hear that's a relationship. It's so important when you're doing business overseas to build relationships. Right now, I don't have to look for any other opportunities because I have so many relationships that even my LinkedIn is overwhelming that I hire somebody just to be in my inbox at this point because relationships is key. And if you understand about different cultures, that's the first thing they talk about is relationships is being genuine. So I mastered understanding that it's important to have a relationship. But also when I walk in now, I say, how can I serve you? Right. And it's not about me. How can I serve you and your business? What is it that I can do for you? And so I took all of my skills that I had. And anytime someone came to me, I created the opportunity. I didn't wait for opportunity to come for me. I didn't look for it. Like when she said, okay, here's customer service. I started saying, huh, 
Well, I have, what about this training? I noticed that um, that some of the people that are coming that are looking to speak English, I don't see any courses, right, of teaching people how to speak English. And so she was just like, okay, well, what does that look like? So I created a course and I started doing that. Then I said, well, this body language course that you have, I like it, but can I actually add my own? Okay, so then I started creating my own courses. I started creating my own opportunities. I started going and knocking on doors and then saying, listen, I have this skill. See, I think it was Salesforce Management. I think it was a, the one back in the day. It's like a CRM, old one. And so I actually took that, learned it, and then I presented it to someone in Abu Dhabi, and then I started doing training. So from that point on, I said, I'm just going to create my opportunity. I'm not going to continue to wait for opportunity to come to me. So 99% of my business that is international is something that I have created, something that I have sat there and listened to and created. So when you're looking at taking your skills, a lot of times we think that what we know, something like customer service and team, but who wants to pay for that, right? That's something you get here every day in the United States, but it's so valuable overseas. And as an American, we don't use the power that we have of being an American. If you heard what I said when I first when I talked, I said, what did I say? I am an American. I'm a native English speaker. I use that till this day. I will hold up a passport and just wave it inside of a, a whole event and get messages just because of my passport, you know. And so we have to remember that, that just because what we think is small is big in other countries. And so once you take those skills, even if it's customer service, team building, everything you've done on that job, you create a business and present it to somebody. I have someone right now, she's doing HR management. She was just like, no one's going to want that. And I said, yes, they do. And it was the basic thing of what she thought was basic, which is creating a handbook that they were like, oh, well, can you create the handbook for us? But then also, can you multiply it in these two other countries? And now all she's doing is handbooks. That's all she's selling is her handbooks. She has now resigned from her company of being HR for 22 years to sitting at home and just licensing her HR handbook to these different countries that's only 22 pages, you see? So now all she does is just reproduce it or either sell the licensing or either she sends it to them however they want it and she sits at home. And so I always say to women, you just look at all the skill sets you have. You take a column. I always say take two columns, take a piece of paper. These are the skills that I have and these are the skills that I enjoy, that I love doing. And then you take those skills and say, let me go research this country or continent that I'm interested in and go on like a, um, a rhetoric and maybe put my own little form up there and say HR in Africa, you know, the need of HR in Africa. And then people will start replying to you and you're like, huh. There is a need just for little basic things like HR, like HR skills, how to write a job description. That is huge right now. They want our job description. They want our templates. You know, you can sit at home. How many templates do we are? Everybody's talking about making in the United States. You could be a template designer for somebody in Africa and just use the templates. And so take your basic skills that you have and don't overthink it. We overthink it too much. The things that we think are small are huge to people. Just even what we're doing right now of how we turned on this video to have this podcast is gold 
to people in other countries. But we think, huh, all you got to do is go on Google and you're thinking you got to go and they don't want to do that. They want your American voice. They want the American stamp to say this is what it is. They don't want that. I can go Google. They want to say that I partner with someone in America who helped me to be able to put my podcast together, you see? And so that's what I always encourage women to do, especially just just don't overthink it and take the skills that you have. Y'all know I'm a business strategist, so I love all things business. And one of the issues I hear a lot for people is they're being confused with registering their business, where they should register, how to register, even just taxes, managing tax liabilities. And so I asked Wendy to share with us how she registers her business and how is she managing her tax liabilities. When I was living in Dubai, I kept my business here in the United States. The reason why is because the UAE at the time, they weren't doing all these licensing, so I didn't have to worry about it. Now, fast forward, let's say you want to sell a digital product online. You got to have a license for that in the UAE. So you just can't have a business and say, I'm going to sell a digital product. It's separate license for everything. If I have a business and say, I want to do business coaching, that's one. If I want to do business training, that's one. I want to sell a digital product, yes, one. And so because there were all these regulations, when I started years ago, I always used that. Now, I also have a freelance license that I can use if I need to in Dubai to do my things, right? Um, I just started an NGO um, in South Africa and in Nibia. And so I'm licensed there for those two programs, which is called Chosen for Youth. So I have a registration in South Africa, Namibia. I have joint venture registrations in India, Pakistan, London. And so it just depends on who I'm working with and the country. So let's say someone like London, they have a whole lot of red tape you got through, even Ethiopia. Instead of me saying I'm going to register my business, actually even Dubai at this point, in this country by myself, I'll go and collaborate and partner and get on their visa, right, with their company. It's, it's easier and I can still have my brand, have my name and do what I need to do, but I don't have all that other red tape that goes along with it. So it really just depends on the country and where I am or the continent of how I register my business. And now you have to remember when we started doing this, the tax laws wasn't as tight as they were. So we were tax free for years. You know, we're talking about technically we started paying taxes again when we came home in 2020. So for years, we didn't have that. And so I always encourage people to have an international tax attorney in that country, right, where you're doing business. So like I have one in Dubai. I have a guy that I work with in Africa. And so I had and then I have someone that's here and all three of them. Guess what? We're all it's like a board. We get together and I need y'all to figure out my money together and they have meetings and that's what they do. And so I created a team around my taxes. Wendy has had such a fascinating story and journey to living abroad. I mean, her husband being a contractor abroad, her going back and forth between Dubai and the States for many years before she even officially lived abroad. And so I had to ask her, what was her first year abroad like? So because I had been going back and forth for so many times, I honestly thought, okay, this is going to be a breeze, you know, setting up getting a house. Because I never, ever even really looked into that, to be honest. Every single time I went, housing was always 
inside of my contract. So they had set everything up. I didn't have to do anything. I was there. But this time I decided to do a contract where I was going to get my own place. They were going to pay for it, but I had to, I wanted to search it out. I wanted to connect the lights and do all of that. So when I was, you know, leaving, I was excited to be going, got there, <laughs> started looking. And then I was like, Oh, I want this apartment. I like this. And then so she was like, well, okay. So you would just write a check for the whole year. And I said, I'm okay. The year. Uh huh. So y'all don't do like the monthly things, you know? And so I said, she's like, um, well, some do, but you can either do a year or six months. I said, okay. So once I write this check, are you cashing it right then? Like, how does this work? Cause if you are, I need to go back to this contract, see, and tell them that I need a, a year's worth of salary for my housing. And she said, no, the way they do it basically is that you write the check and they cash it at the end of the year. Right. Or in six months, some places, some places will cash it right then. And so but this particular place, she was just like, no, because you had this contract, we had the paperwork, we'll just do it in the year. And so that was new. And so I was like, okay, this is about to be different. This is not what I thought. And at the time I was living in a temporary Airbnb that they had put me in, which I at that point wanted to stay because I was like, I'm about to go through something. So then I went to turn on my lights and it was the same thing. You know, you had to go through all these different procedures and stuff. Nothing like just going to turn on lights. And of course, I'm trying to go on the Internet. Well, I got to be able to do this online. No, you had to physically go in there. And I was like, oh, my goodness. And then you had to put these big deposits down. It's totally different. So at that point, I was just like, wow, you know, I'm going to write all of this down because I honestly assumed after all these years of coming here, never did I think this was a setup for, you know, getting housing, turning on your lights, getting a cell phone, making sure you have to have your passport. You got to show that you have some income um, in certain places. And at first, I was just like, oh, God, and did, I, and did I make the best decision, you know, at the time? Um, because I'll never forget trying to turn on the lights. It took me two days outside in the hot sun sweating for six hours because the GPS was wrong at this location. Me and these other people walking around this big building. Can you imagine in 110 degree weather in in Dubai? Um, and so that was the first couple of days of my experience. I'll fast forward, end up getting into the house and I was doing a contract with the local school there, helping them get their American accreditation, um, as well as helping with their special needs department because I do a lot of mental health. And their special needs, of course, is slash mental health because they were not still saying mental health, right? And so a lot of the kids really just had mental health. And so I, I ended up getting a couple other contracts while I was there because I always built that contract around that I would only work a certain amount of hours. Ended up doing that. And one of the things I can say is when you are in Dubai, you are a serial entrepreneur, okay? That niching down and all that stuff does not apply. Okay. So when I'm coming back to the States and I hear people niche down and focus on, I'm like, it's not the same because there's so many opportunities as an American. And so I felt overwhelmed because I had my hands of so many opportunities, whether it was the government, whether it was people coming to me wanting to partner, whether, you know, and they, it wasn't like here in the United States where it's like, Okay, well, that's me. Can we partner together? And, you know, you're trying to pull teeth. It wasn't like that. The opportunities were coming so fast and I was not ready. I was not ready for that at all. And so I had to sit back and I, had to get, I, I got another coach. I never still to this point, I, I, I can't find a coach that really does what I do. Right. <laughs> so I was just like, I'm going to have to find a coach based on systems. Right. And then what what opportunities should I take? Because it was that overwhelming. 
And so what I did was I ended up getting this coach um, and I just said, okay, I'm going to focus on networking. All I did was focus on networking, access, learning the culture, and then the contracts that I did have were the contracts that I had, but that wasn't the main focus. And so what that brought me to was the access that I have today, had I focused on money, going to live the life in Dubai and, you know, all the the club. I I might have, I had never been to a club in Dubai. Okay, <laughs> I was like well, I'm sitting on the club. I'm like, well, where was that at? And, you know, never ever. I didn't focus on any of that. And so what happened was because of during those eight years, the access that I have and the connections that I have, no way I would have had them if I would have been in the United States. I have in my cell phone now the you know ministries, presidents of different countries and and different continents and first ladies and princesses and all of that. I would have never had that, and because my focus was just on the networking, the access, and understanding and learning these different cultures, it was so overwhelming. I'll never forget being stressed out. I had anxiety and. People were just like, well, you seem happy. And I was like, I, I wasn't happy the first couple of months because it was so overwhelming. you know. And then as far as like once I really got there and lived there, um, the relationships that I built and the women that embraced me, the local Emirati women, uh, women from Dubai, um, it's called um, Africa Networking Group. And I became I, um, part of different boards in Ghana, in Africa. Then that's when I became the director of Pakistan. This, all of these leadership roles in these different countries is what I took on versus worrying about taking on a whole bunch of contracts. So I sat in the school contracts and things that I knew. Again, I took the skills from all my mental health years, and that's what I did for the schools. Every school I knew, still to this day, this is a hint for someone, if you're a school in Dubai, you have to have an American. They have to have an American. If you want to be in an American school with American accreditation, an American has to be in that school. A lot of them right now don't have Americans, right? And so, but I knew they didn't need me to do that. So then I went to different schools and I became the American for these schools while I needed to do what I needed to do to find access, to build relationships. And so I just immersed myself. But those first couple of months were, it was, it was rough. It was a rough first couple of months. And then you also have to think of, hey, I'm a wife, I'm a mother. Being away from my children. Oh, they were older. Of course, they were in college and my daughter was getting out of college. My husband's in a different country, but he was able to come over to Dubai quicker because he was in Afghanistan. So we actually saw each other more and being able you know, to, to make sure that our relationship and our communication work. You know, that's another thing. You know, a lot of people talk about, well, you're overseas. And I was like, you know, it's a lot of sacrifice that comes on when you're a mother and you're a wife, you know, and now I'm living in a country by myself. My children wasn't there. My husband wasn't there. Um, and so I you know having to, to make sure I balance that while trying to do all these things in this different country that I was in. And that's when I was like, I have to learn a little bit Arabic. How am I going to do this? And that's when I start going into classrooms. I would ask people and then I would um, also Whoever I was in front of, we would just sit and have these little lessons. I was like, okay, so what language do you speak? <laughs> Can you teach me how to say hello? You know, and how do you say goodbye? And that's what I did when I was in Dubai. I didn't do the the sightseeing. And when my friends, when people would come over and I'd be like, okay, what y'all want to do? And my kids, you know, every Christmas, we did Christmas in Dubai. Um, that was a benefit for my family and especially my kids, you know, who wouldn't want to tell their friends, where y'all going for Christmas to Dubai? So that's what we did every year um, and had it there. But the first couple of, man, I'm, I'm just thinking about it now. As you said, I guess I really haven't really thought about it in a long time. But it was, it's a mindset shift that you have to do. Um, even for my family calling me and saying, 
we're going to have a cookout today. I used to tell them, I don't want to hear about it. You can't, I don't hear about your cookouts. I don't want to hear about your birthdays. Don't tell me that because I've already missed home and I don't need to miss it enough to leave. Does it make sense? So they stopped telling me when they were having these things. I just want to know y'all are good. I just want to know that y'all are okay. That's all I want to know. I don't want to know about the celebrations because my mind had to be focused where I was in order to stay where I was. And a lot of times that's what people end up coming and leaving from is because they miss home and they hear about the vacations and the trips and we're planning to do this and the family reunion is coming up. And how do you balance that in living there? And I had to do that. I had to almost disconnect myself, honestly, from the United States. And, and now, now I'm back in the States and I, I, it's almost like rebuilding relationships. I had the relationships, but it's more like, oh, now I'm going to come see you. Now I want to come spend time with you because we missed all these years, but they understood what I was trying to do. It's not that I wanted to totally just disconnect from you, but I had to do it mentally because when you live in a different country and especially a country that's totally different from your own, you know, with your you know, religion, all of that plays a part in order to survive. You have to somewhat disconnect yourself. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Flourish in the Foreign. And if you have, please support this labor of love because it is labor nonetheless. You can support this solo indie podcast by becoming a member of the Flourish in the Foreign Buy Me a Coffee membership, where you can subscribe to support the podcast on a monthly basis. You can also give one-time support via Buy Me a Coffee as well. And you can do either one at buymeacoffee.com slash flourishforeign. Support this podcast by writing a review on whichever platform you listen to the podcast. And if you listen on Spotify, you can also leave comments on each episode and even answer some of the poll questions I've created for certain episodes. Be sure to share this podcast with your friends and family and even the colleagues you kind of like. This podcast continues to exist and thrive due to listeners like you. Thank you so much for your continued support. Now, back to the episode. Wendy has two children who are adults now, but were quite young when her husband decided to work internationally. And so I asked Wendy, how has this decision of working and then living abroad affected her children? Oh, great question. My babies. So they are, my daughter will be 27 this month and my son is 25. And so we made the decision. We sat them down and they didn't know the whole, because they were younger, they didn't know everything, but they knew that this sacrifice had to be made because my husband went first. Daddy's going to be gone because he only came home when he first went to Iraq. He did every six months and came home 30. And then when he went to Afghanistan, it was every 90 days, came home 30. So for 30 days is all we had him for for 20 years. Okay, 20 years. Um, but again, you have to remember what I told you before in the journey is that we lost everything. And I was just like, the American dollar is not loyal. It's not going to ever be loyal to us. We got to figure this out. And, and overseas is it. And so and we taught we told our kids that daddy's going to do this. He sacrificed and being away in order to do this for us so we could have this. And then we moved into our house and we, you know, we had all these things and 
And we just talk to them about that and what it's like to be a global family is going to look different. So when mommy is taking this phone running down the court so he can see you doing your game, it's going to look different because other people are not going to do it. We had every recording camera <laughs> that was out there because I didn't want him to miss those moments. And then Skype was our best friend during that time. He would go to the parent teacher conferences. He would join by Skype. He would join the basketball games by Skype. So he was still there uh, for even for ourselves as husband and wife. We would have our anniversary, our date nights on Skype, you know, he's eating what he's eating, you know, and you and you do those things to make it work. And so even for our children, watching a basketball game with my son on Skype is what he did, you know. And so even though he wasn't physically there, he didn't he didn't miss it. And our kids, we taught them and make sure that, you know, that, listen, you understand the reason why he's there. We used to always say that the reason why he's there is for this. Mommy's dream is also to be able to go overseas you know, and to stay at some point. So they knew this. It was something that we talked about. When people have vision boards, we didn't have what is the normal vision board. We had a global family vision board. And so every year we talked about the different places and the country that mommy and daddy might live in and go to. So when you're talking about that, think about it. that's natural then, right? Oh, global, my mother going over to Dubai. Now that I'm 17 years old, we've been talking about that for years. You know, that was always our global vision. This is the global family. This is what our family dynamic is. And for my children, it opened them up to seeing, number one, there's different parts of the world. My daughter has her own business, um, Alex Beauty. So she does body butters, natural products. She's a formulator. She formulates for different people. She gets, of course, her products overseas, right? Her shades and things, different things like that. My son is now in law school. Um, he's actually getting ready to graduate in December. He will be an attorney in mergers and acquisitions, which, of course, he would do some international business as well. And so all of that opened them up to say, you know, it's more to just the United States. And a lot of times women will say to me, well, you're a mother and you left. You know, how did you do that? And your children, how did they do while you were gone with school? And again, I always told my children, your number one job is school. You don't have no other job. I just need you to do that one job for me. That one job is going to make mommy and daddy proud. But my children, every single time they had a grade or something, they would say, we did our one job. How do we do our one job, mommy, daddy? Did we do good? My children had honors society, both of them. Both of them graduated sun cum laude and Macum laude from college while their parents we're back and forth in different countries, living in different countries. And at some point, we both were out of the country, right? And they were able to maintain. But it's because you had those conversations. I think sometimes we think our children are too young, like a seven or eight to understand. But they understand And you, if you write it down the right way. If you take some magazines and say Australia is where mommy and daddy wants to live at some point, how do you feel about it? Let's learn about Australia. And now you have technology. You can visit Australia online, basically. Right? But we didn't have that. But we set it up the way that we could at that moment. So our vision was always global with our children. They knew they knew that we were doing it because we lost things and we needed to, and this, the sacrifice needed to be there financially. But they who's really going to understand finances like that at 10 or 11? But they knew in the long run that it was going to be the best decision for all of us at the end. And so for them, like now my daughter also has a travel agency business. She loves to travel. Um, Everything. She is a mini me, <laughs> you know, and loves the international. She has the international bug. 
And it honestly is is exposure. You know, they know that the United States is not the end all to be all. They know that there's more out there. So when things people are talking about the economy and things are going bad and all of this, they know that there's opportunity. Like my son needs to do an internship. He's going to probably do it outside the country. He's already said that because it's more opportunity versus doing it here this summer. And so he decided that on his own, not me. That came from what we have been teaching them and what this global family looked like for all of these years. Um, it's opened them up to different cultures. It's opened them up to, you know, I had to explain what racism was because my children didn't know what it was because we were so multicultural with, with all our travels and the things that we do. And so for them, I, I feel like it was, it was something that most, it was, it was very different the dynamic. It still is today. But it's, it's, it was it turned out to be the best decision that we did for our family. And when it was time for me to move to Dubai, most children and I've seen it where they'll say, well, we don't want you to go, mommy. We don't want you to leave. My children said, no, you go do what you've always wanted to do. This is what you told us you were going to do. This, you know, we're we're okay, mommy. We're good. And that's what they said to me. Like it was nothing. It wasn't like a whole conversation of going back and forth. It was like, okay, why are you telling us this? We already knew this because this is what we grew up in. So if you do that, it's just like when you teach them, teach them what your visions are and your dreams are as parents. A lot of times we don't share that. We don't share our dreams and aspirations and what we do with our kids. But if you do that, there's no surprises. I don't, you know, I have a friend right now. She is having a nervous breakdown because their son is going to college and she's like, what am I going to do? There's so many women that are like that. I didn't have that. My, what was I going to do? I was moving to Dubai and my children, what did they, they knew mommy was going to be in somebody's country when we graduate. So I had now, I'm able to live my life and my dreams freely. I'm not thinking about it or planning on it now that my children like, oh, they're, when I, I always say this, when my kids get out of high school, Wendy, then I'll think about doing international business. No, why are you going to do that? Plan your life now. So then therefore, when they graduate, you already have what you want in place and therefore your children will be more receptive of it. They'll be more ready to do it. And so my for me, my kids were just always supportive. And it's just it's just been a blessing because honestly, I would be like, are you sure? Because if they said no, I don't know if I would have done it, to be honest. But they said they've always said yes and supported. As she said before, Wendy's husband was the first to go abroad to work. And so I asked her, how has the decision for her husband and then her to work abroad affected their marriage? Well, when we made the decision, it was a decision because we had to make a decision, right? Because that was an opportunity that came to us. And the amount of money that he was making international, he would never made it here in the United States. Um, so it had to be a quick decision that this was actually it was a decision that had to happen in it was less than a week that he was leaving. It was a yes and a week <laughs> and it was done. OK, that type of decision. And we like, we got to do it. We're going to make this work, however that is, how whatever that looks like. And so he left a week later after getting the opportunity and we had to learn. And we were young. We were really young. Like, I don't even know. I, thought I was really young. So we were a young couple. Right. And we just said, you know, they say that this communication is key and. I wasn't the best communicator, to be honest, at that time. And so it and it taught us how to communicate, you know, that because that's how we were going to survive this marriage. And so the communication was definitely one that we had to work on, had to grow with. Now, it was not easy. Oh, let me tell you. OK, it was not easy. I was just like, are we going to make 
this. Okay. Because you don't get to see each other. And that was something we was like, you know, we, we are not going to be physically connected for months. How are we going to do it? That comes with a lot of trust. A lot of trust. And so we had to build trust. The communication had to build there. We had to have the, I call it now what I always, I work in agreement basically saying that, listen, at seven o'clock, I'm going to be available. You're going to be calling me. I need you to be available. Right. And I had to think of it that I'm in the United States. I have all this freedom. My husband is overseas in Iraq in this tent at the time as a contractor. Right. And that's what he lived in. So communication. For him, it's going to be 10 times more important than it is for me. I didn't get that at first. Sometimes I would be doing other stuff. Oh, and then I'd be like, oh, you're calling. Well, I, I got to go do this for the kids. And I said, wait a minute. And I had to learn that. Wait a minute. He And he just said to me, I'm, he, I, I just need to talk to you for a few minutes. Right. And I didn't get that for a long time. And I had to learn that, you know, the communication was that he needed to see us more than we needed to see him. He needed to hear from us more than we. And so we used to, we used to have this work in agreement. This is seven, seven o'clock. I knew he's going to be getting up. I'm going to make sure I'm home. I would make sure that I didn't have things to do. You know, whatever it was, I was in a place where I can talk to him. And if I wasn't, I would tell the person, listen, my husband, I'm, my husband getting a call. I'm going to go sit in the car so I can talk to my husband. And then when it came time for me to do the international piece, I told you at first, he was just like, I don't know how you think you're going to do this. <laughs> but you know, he said, but if you're going to do it, you're going to do it. We've always had an agreement with we're always going to live our dreams and we're going to respect our dreams for each other. Uh, we've been married now 27 years. People change, you know. So when you come into a marriage, you have one goal and you might have these dreams, but maybe 10 years later, they change. And so we always update. We just had this conversation last night. Actually, it's funny you're asking this. We always talk about what are your new dreams and your aspirations and goals? Have they changed since the last time we talked? We are very diligent about making sure we had that conversation. So then he knows that, okay, well, remember I did the Middle East for years, Bahrain, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, and not just, you know, Dubai, mostly the Middle East for most of my years and up until 2021 I started really looking more at doing Africa and so when I told him last year I was like okay now I'm ready I'm gonna be doing South Africa more it wasn't like you're going to South Africa what are you going to do there how long are you going to stay because we had that conversation South Africa is the next place you know how it goes and like just like Dubai supposed to be in Dubai for six months turned into eight years now do I want to live over there like that now Somewhere I'm not going to say I'm not because God always has his, you know, his plan is ahead of mine, but it might happen like that. But now we're in a position where he's not in Afghanistan. He can come with me. He can go back and forth because he has his own businesses here. So we have more freedom. So when it comes to me going global, doing us, we've always had the communication of what our desires were, what my hopes and dreams were, what I wanted to do. There was no surprises. It's not like I'm going to pop up and say something. And the advice I can give to married women today, you can't go into a marriage saying, here are my goals, my dreams. And then as you grow as a person, you're, it's going to change. But you've got to communicate that. They, they're they not going to be able to read your mind to say, you know what? Oh, it changed from you wanting to do business in London. Now you want to do in Dubai. Now you're leaving. You have to have that. And so we always made that part of our marriage communication. Where are you with your your goals? You know, and. How can I support you? He's never been, don't go, don't do this. He's always said, just be safe. When I go to the Middle East, 
is whatever. When I go to South Africa, he's like, okay, well, where are you going? You might need some security, but it's never don't go. He's always said, you know what? I'll come over there. You know, I'll come be with you. And just like now he has stuff going on. I go with him and do what he needs to do. And we just have that communication and understanding. But I want to emphasize is that as you grow as a person in your relationship, you always have to then say things have changed now. This is where I am. And my desires are to live in London. Right. I don't want to live in the United States anymore. So how are we going to work towards that? You can't just spring and say, you know what, next month I think I want to go live in London. It doesn't it doesn't work like that. So for me, if I told my husband today, listen, I'm going to go back to South Africa. I'm going to live there for about three months. He would say, OK, it's no surprise. He's like, OK, so how are we going to make this work? What are we going to do? You want me to come? You want me to come now? That's what we talk about. So it's all about communication. But it was it was tough. You know, you got to think that's 20 years I've been apart. Until 2020, we came back together. Just as tw- in 2020, rest recently, right before the pandemic, he decided to come home, re- what he calls retire from living overseas. We were where we were financially and what we needed to do. Now we, we're dating again. You know, if you, if you, you know, that's what it is because we haven't really been together. It was always 30 days here, 30 days there. Um, and so it's been really good for us and to just almost like this newlywed type couple and we have freedom we we wake up when we want to we go where we want to go now you know we went from losing everything to now owning everything debt-free and being able to do that be able to really experience and just I guess love on each other again as they say but the communication is the biggest thing that has saved us if it wasn't for that I honestly don't know if we would have made it I'm gonna be honest and the trust and the trust and the trust we would have made it repatriation for some reason, people don't talk about it because I don't know. Some people think repatriating or returning back to your home country might be a failure, which is not if you listen to this podcast, but it is a process of adjustment that sometimes people don't talk about nearly enough. And so I asked Wendy, what was it like repatriating to the United States? I call it reentry. Like global reentry, that's what I named it. And I didn't realize there was a such thing until I got back home. And so I was like having culture shock. I was in culture shock of my own country, <laughs> to be honest, because in Dubai, you have to think that's a place where there's no crime. You know, you don't have gun violence. You don't have the politics on the TV. They censor that. So I didn't see all of that. Everybody's walking around happy. I didn't have a alarm system. I can leave my car unlocked. I can leave my Louis Vuitton bag in the shopping cart and walk around the entire mall, come back and it's going to be there. And so I lived in what is not my reality for so long. And so when I came home, I will never forget going grocery shopping with my son and I left my bag in the shopping cart. And he was like, what are you doing? You are in the United States. And I was like, oh, that's right. And then I was getting in the car and I wasn't locking my doors. I was coming in the house for getting to turn on the alarm. And I was like, I, I I bust out crying. I remember days of crying, days of crying. I would hear people talking about gun violence and I would start crying again. And I was just like, I had no idea that I was going to have to go through this reentry, and and what does that look like, and the therapy that is needed with that. And so I started reaching out to other women who I knew who also had came back into the states, and they were struggling just like I was. They was depression, it was anxiety. Um, they couldn't find their way. We felt like we were disconnected from our own country and our culture. That we were so embedded that this is where we were. That 
when I decided to come back, I'll never forget Leslie Garcia. She's a, uh, she owns Counseling Space and she, she was actually part of my Global Success Society group and became friends. And I reached out to her. I'll never forget that day. And I said, I'm thinking about coming back home. She's a therapist. And then so she was like, wait, what does that look like for you? And I was like, you know, I never thought about that. And I said, but I think it's time. Um, and this was right before the pandemic even happened. So it was like perfect time, actually. And then my husband was talking about retiring. So I was like, now we're going to be coming home together. Right. I got to add that. How are we going to live together? We haven't lived together. What does that look like? So I have all these things to think about. And so I, I went into a depression for a couple of months. I'll never forget before coming home, decided to come home in November, came home in November, was struggling. Oh, I was struggling. And I still struggle. I'm not struggling like I was, but I have my moments where I do miss Dubai because I miss the peacefulness. I miss, you know, the, the, all these shootings and school shootings. You know, I, I that level of peace that I miss from just that alone um, and the things that's going on in our country with the politics, it's just a lot. It's too much. Uh, and so for me, I created this little course called Reentry um, that I gave to my friends who were coming back in because I said I didn't realize that this was a thing. And in order for us to survive, we got we're gonna have to we're gonna have to save each other, because people are thinking, oh, they lived in London, they lived in you know, Saudi Arabia, and they did all these amazing things. Is that it's easy to come back because we're from America, and it's not. And so I had to do therapy, still do therapy. To I've always done therapy, but now it's like a different therapy about a therapy about living in this country and how to deal with the things that are going on versus what I'm used to for all of these years that I never. I was so at peace that I didn't even realize how disconnected I was until I got back to the States, to be honest. And now that I'm thinking about it, the first experience was when the driver was taking me home and it said a, a child had gotten shot, something outside a store on the radio. That was my first thing, right? And so I'm like, the day that I landed from the airport, that was it. And I was like, I'm home. Now I'm home. I didn't think that that was going to bother me as much as it did, but it did. And so to this day, it's a struggle being here, but I'm here because my family, my grandmother's 91. So I missed a lot of that time. And I'm the oldest grandchild. And so she'll say to me, you know, they still have no sandstorms over there. You don't need to be going back. Right. <laughs> and so I've been spending a lot of time with her. She's not been able to come see my home. And so a lot of it's around my family. The reason why I'm here. I'll be, I, you know, I've always, my husband knows it. I'm very transparent. If my grandmother was not living, if my family, if, if my husband was to say, you know, what country do you want to go live in? Let's go. And my mother, you know, wasn't living. I probably would not, I, I, I wouldn't be here. I'm just being transparent. I'm here for my family. I'm not here because Wendy wants to be in the United States. Wendy does not want to be in the United States. I don't know. It's, it's, it's been a struggle. It's, it's gotten better in 2023, but 2021, 22 was, it was rough. It was rough and people, they knew it. I mean, and people, it's funny you ask that question because they always ask me, are you okay? You know, how is it? Do you miss it? And I was like, I do. And it's kind of like hard to say because you're like, you don't want your family to think that you don't miss them or don't want to be with them. But once you go abroad and you live, it's just a different experience and that it's just hard to explain. Of course, you would know how it is. But I always say, oh, if, if you are a young woman who's single and you, know, you have the opportunity to explore the world, do it and don't look back. Move abroad and just take the journey. And then honestly, at this point in time, everybody needs to be moving. But I would say if you had that opportunity and don't have the attachment of family, do it. And it's for your mental wellness, if nothing else.
As you have heard, Wendy does a lot, and she even has a nonprofit as well. So I asked Wendy to discuss why she decided to start her nonprofit and what are the aims of her organization. So Chosen for Youth actually came about when I was going to South Africa. I went to South Africa not for Chosen for Youth. I went to South Africa not building a business or doing anything. But when I got there, I ended up meeting the mayor and talking to him. It's called Africa Entrepreneurs Networks. It's another organization I'm attached to. We were doing a launch there and they were talking about the needs in the community on Walvis Bay about drugs, um, how to substance abuse and mental health. And of course, you know, that's a, a position where I am as far as being able to help and serve. I didn't realize the need until I got there. And when I say the need, we have now, you know, we can call a substance abuse center. We can go get some mental health services. When I say there is only maybe, it might be one place that they can go, but they don't have the credentials that we have. It's just people that want to help. And so when I saw there was a need, I said, okay, God, what do you want me to do? He said, I want you to have an NGO here. Okay, well, that's going to take time. No, you're going to do it before you leave. I only had seven days. Okay. Seven days. So I had seven days in uh, South Africa, seven days in Namibia. I did a registration in South Africa in seven days with the help of my partner who's living there. And then also did one in Namibia and finalizing one actually as we speak today in another city in South Africa. And so it wasn't something that was planned. It has, if you, if you listen to me this whole time, it's never something that's planned for me. <laughs> it just happens and I do it and I figure out how to do it. I didn't know how to set up an NGO, but I knew I had people that was there that I connected with and built relationships with that can help. And I haven't said, but maybe you're actually the first interview podcast that I've even talked about chosen for youth and what's going on. Half of what I talked about with you, <laughs> to be honest, I shaved it for you. That's why I was like, this is perfect timing. And so I'm saying that all to say is that a lot of times we try to plan things. And when you go to these different countries, it's not as hard as you think it is to set up. Um, so when chosen for youth is basically to help youth and families and communities with education, with mental health, with substance abuse. The youth that are there are just so smart, but they just need the tools and they need the resources. And if you notice, my business is always starting international. So I thought about, I was like, oh, well, that makes sense. I just now started registering Chosen for Youth in the United States. Just now. It'll be finalized probably next week. And so we will be now supporting youth here that will partner and connect and collaborate with the youth in Namibia and South Africa to do conferences. Um, I have women who I have connected with here in the United States who are therapists, who are doctors, who are nurses, who have said that they will volunteer their time to be able to go over. Also, we have people who are coaches who are willing to do entrepreneurship training. We have partnered with the mayor there. And before I left there, I was given land. I was given buildings. I was given pretty much like this open, I'll try to like get emotional. I was, I was given, a, a, I don't even know how many houses at this point that they said, we have these houses and they're yours and you can do whatever it is that you want to do with them for our community. And so as a, recently, as of last week, I got a message and now I have a school that was given to me. And I was like, okay, how much is the rent going to be? And how much is it going to be to fix it up? They started sending me pictures last week of people painting, people fixing it up. There's no rent. There's no nothing. All I got to do is go there, put 
the things in place, which I wanted to be a training center, like a resource center for entrepreneurs. I want to be able to have women who are in the community to be able to help them build their businesses. I want to have mental health services for families because you have to, it has to be a whole. You can't just help the child. I, I went there to really just a view and look at South Africa to have an event there. I wanted to have an event there for women. So I was like, let me go see. But it turned into having now two NGOs getting to be another NGO chosen for youth in these different places to having multiple buildings, houses and lands that were just giving to me um, to be able to serve. And so the need for me would be from people who are in the United States who are willing to give their time to do training, coaching, therapists, people, especially people who are in substance abuse, people who are maybe even looking to relocate their therapy centers, or if you have a substance abuse center, if you have a coaching business, you have a leadership training center, if you're willing to relocate, that's, that's what I need. I need people who are willing to serve. I asked Wendy if she has a motto, an affirmation, a mantra, a scripture, a song lyric that she lives by. And if she does, what is it? And how did it come to be? And what does it mean to her? I do have one. It came to me as we were having this conversation. Um, Ten years ago, I came up with this slogan. It's called Purposely Place. Now, I didn't know what I was going to do with it. I sent it to this lady and I said, can you create a T-shirt? She created the T-shirt, kept the T-shirt for years, had no clue what I was going to do with the shirt. End up, right before I was going to South Africa, God said, take this shirt with you. That's okay. He said, reprint it, make it again. That's okay. I'll put it in my bag. So I launched Purposely Placed in Namibia and South Africa, just giving out the shirt, gave it to the mayor, gave it to some other people. And then I asked them, what did it mean to them? At first, they're just like, I'm not sure. But when I left, I'll never forget this guy. He was our driver. He had to be like 280, big guy, right? Came to me in tears and said, I got it now. And I said, what is it? He's like, I'm purposely placed. He's like, because he does truck driving and things like that. But because he was driving us around, he was able to meet people, go to the events, go to the events with the youth that we were doing. He was able to to serve and be fed at the same time. And he said, I was purposely placed because I would have never, ever known that this was in my community and how I can help and all the things that was going on. He's like, so I'm purposely placed. Uh, when I went to meet the mayor, I gave him the shirt the day before because we had a launch. And so when I went to meet him, I was just like, I'm, he's probably not going to have the shirt, right? <laughs> so I'm thinking, right, we all wore our shirt. He's not going to have the shirt on. He had the shirt on. So I was like, oh, he has on my shirt. And then so I asked him, I was like, oh, you have on my shirt? He's like, yes. He said, because I'm running. I'm again for mayor. And he said, I want everybody to know I'm purposely placed, right? And so when I created that, I started to think, if you it, wherever you are in your journey, whether it's good or bad, you're purposely placed. When I was going through what I was going through, I was purposely placed for where I am today. And so I always say, when you look at your life, look at where it is today, again, whether it's good or bad, and just know that you're purposely placed because your test is always a testimony. Um, you always have a stir story as part of your journey. And so you are purposely placed wherever you are today. I asked Wendy, what is her personal definition of wellness and how has that definition and that practice really evolved as she has lived and worked abroad? My definition is peace and being your authentic self and being free to do so. I always say when I was here in the United States, people 
didn't know about my past. They didn't know about where I had lost everything. And I didn't share a lot of this in this part, but um, even when I was a teenager where I tried to commit suicide you know, and attempted, you know, and I went through all of those things, all they saw was this woman who was in Dubai and they was like so amazed, but they didn't know the story. So I wasn't my authentic true self in the United States. When I left to go to a, go abroad, I ended up writing a book with 18 women called Fearless Visionaries. And at that time, that's when I shared a chapter of my story. And that's when I was just like, this whole time, I haven't been my authentic self. And I didn't release that until I was in Dubai. I was living over there. So then I was just like, okay, now I released this. I can now be my true authentic self and share my story wherever you know I should be able to share it. Um, and I felt free. Uh, from that, I was able to have a sense of peace. It was like this big weight that was off of my shoulders. And so I always say that there's so many women who especially CEOs who hide and in leadership, we hide behind our story and, and you know, we, we feel like we just have to present and put on for everybody. And I did that for years. But once you release that, the amount of peace that I had, anxiety was gone, mixed with a little depression because I was trying to hold in this story, um, you know, and the whole time people were saying, well, how did you get started? Well, where did this go? And I would just never, ever share until 2018 with my mentor, Dr. Princess Fumi Hancock, who I am grateful for because when she asked me to write that chapter, the chapter I gave her was that facade. I mean, she said, I don't know what this is, but this ain't it. And so, so she's like, I'm going to need you to write your story. And that's when it happened. And so for me, when you're talking about wellness, it's just being peace and being able to be my authentic self and being OK and not worried about who's going to judge me and what they think. Uh, but more so to say that, you know, when I share my story, when I share who I am as my authentic self, that I'm inspiring someone. Maybe I'm saving a life, you know, uh, when I share my story. So that's that's wellness for me. And I didn't get that into I lived overseas. And I always say a lot of people say, well, God saved you. And I was like, well, you the Middle East saved me. It did. It, it really did. It took me to a different place where I was able to get to really know Wendy and to learn myself and, and to to really look, you know, the past and how, you know, the, how it affected me today. Even in my marriage uh, has gotten better from that to being able to really release all of that, because a lot of my story, my husband didn't even know until 2018. Okay, um, so just think of being able to release all of that with everybody um, that I have been able to hold in. So now I'm in a place of peace. I'm my authentic self. I feel free. I don't feel like I have to hide or hold anything in. And I don't think there's a better level of wellness than to have peace, you know, and just to be who you are and not worry about anybody and what they say. Thank you so much, Wendy, for sharing your incredible story with all of us. If you're interested in keeping up with Wendy, you can via social media. I am Inspiring Decisions on all platforms, Facebook, Instagram, even TikTok. I also have a Facebook group, uh, Women in Global Business and Wellness on Facebook. I have a group called Passports and Heels, uh, where we like to travel. I'm helping women right now get their passports um, because that's something that we need to do. A lot of us don't have that. And women who are scared to go on trips can actually go on our group trips together. So we do educational trips. We do events to dealing around conferences. But Passports and Heels will be another one. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Flourish in the Foreign. If you'd like to learn more about this guest, please check out their show notes page at Flourish in the Foreign.
dot com slash episodes. If you would like to be a guest or know of someone who would be an interesting guest on the podcast, please fill out the guest inquiry form located on the website under the contact tab. That's flourishintheforeign.com slash contact. I will be doing another Ask Me Anything episode at the end of the season. So be sure to please submit your questions via the link in the description of this episode. Be sure to check out the Flourish in the Foreign blog and the Flourish in the Foreign bookshop powered by bookshop.org, where you can support local bookstores and Flourish in the Foreign at the same time. Check out my list of books to help you move, live, and thrive abroad. Make sure that you are subscribed to the Flourish in the Foreign YouTube channel for when I drop new videos and follow the podcast on Instagram and TikTok at Flourish Forum. You can also follow the podcast on LinkedIn at Flourish in the Foreign. And of course, subscribe to the podcast via whichever platform you listen on and leave a review. As always, Big thanks to Zachary Higgs for producing the music of this here podcast. Here is this week's affirmation. Take whatever resonates and leave what doesn't. I am safe. I am safe and I trust myself. I am safe to move on from the stories I have told myself about myself and about the world. I am safe to make a decision that perhaps I would have never made before in my life, but I've decided to make that decision now because it aligns with the vision of a life well lived that I hold for myself. I am safe to let go of the familiar and embrace the blissful unknown. I take delight in uncertainty because that means ain't nothing been decided yet. So I have a lot more say in how everything plays out. I am safe to roam, to explore, to be different, and to make different choices. I am safe in opening my heart and mind to new and lovely possibilities and experiences. I am safe to reimagine myself. I am safe to explore new sides of myself, sides that maybe I have denied. I am safe to pursue ventures and opportunities that may not make sense to anyone else except for me. And I trust myself. I know me better than anyone else. I am safe as I take a step forward. I don't look back in sadness, but only with gratitude. Gratitude that the experiences that I've had up until this point have made me the person that I am. So I can embrace this new opportunity, this new space, this new energy with a full heart, a full mind, and open arms. I am safe, and my sense of safety only increases as I trust myself. I trust that I know myself. I trust in my intuition. I can trust in my divine nudges. I can trust in my dreams. I can trust me. And with all of that, I relax 
I smile, and I am open to the brilliance that awaits me. And so it is. Remember, it's not about moving abroad. It's not about being abroad. It's about flourishing abroad. So go abroad and cultivate a life well lived. See you next time. On the next episode of Flourish in the Foreign. I didn't know that this was be my life, that I would be here now, you know, when I was there. So it didn't feel like the beginning of my life. It felt like we had done it for then. But shortly after, I knew that like, yeah, this is what I want to do. Within a few weeks of running on the beach and eating mangoes, I said, yeah, this is, we need to figure out how to continue to live like this.